Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Mitz. Today, we are taking a little bit of a turn, uh, even though uh, Kansas lost that game to West Virginia. Um, we're not actually talking about that today unless we happen to, to have enough time for it. But I've been avoiding it for way too long. Um, there's obviously been a lot of football news that's been going on since the end of the football season um, and uh, that I haven't really wanted to talk about, but I figured it's about time to do that. So to do that, I have coming back to the podcast, Scott Chasen uh, of, of Fog.net 24-7 Sports. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. You know, we're taping this before the Super Bowl, so I kind of feel like we should just pretend like we're taping it after and make outlandish predictions about things that might have happened. I'll start. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that the Chiefs started Patrick Mahomes at defensive back. Yeah, I know. I mean, gosh, that and then, you know, the fact that uh, that that Tom Brady lined up for like 25% of their snaps at fullback. I, I mean, it came completely out of left field. I just have absolutely no idea why they did it. Yeah, and, and when he took off his one helmet during the play and tried to Miles Garrett, Travis Kelsey, which, first of all, I don't know why one of those guys was playing on defense, apparently. It was it was very crazy. Yeah, seriously, it's it's the Super Bowl. Everyone goes crazy during the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> All right, so now we've had our fun there. Uh, Kansas football, obviously, uh, you know, it's it's actually kind of funny because that uh, that is like a perfect example of doing everything you absolutely can do to try to avoid talking about Kansas football. Um, and yet, <laughs> which I've been doing for probably the last month and a half or so. And yet, um, obviously, like the biggest news of the offseason to, to start, or I guess it, it's all been pretty big, but really kind of the first thing that was a worrying sign, I think, for a lot of Kansas fans was just the the sheer number of people that have transferred out of the program after this season. Um, you know, there had been some hope going into the season. I know that I had talked about it a few times about how, you know, the, the eligibility rules because of COVID could potentially give Kansas an opportunity to kind of jumpstart getting back to a full 85 scholarships. Um, but with the number of people that have left after this season, 
Um, doesn't seem like that's actually going to be able to happen. Now, I'm I'm personally of the mind that a lot of these guys were people that were looking to move on anyway after this year. That you know they they either are seniors that are getting an extra year of eligibility and deciding not to use that at Kansas, um, or guys that probably weren't going to be sticking around for too much longer anyway, um, and we're just kind of looking to, to to find a new location to start over. So, um, you know, do you think I'm off base with that, or like is is there something else going on, or do you think that that's a pretty fair assessment of where we're at? Uh, I think that's somewhat fair. Now, regarding 85 scholarships, Kansas will be there with its 2022 class, and Kansas won't be able to take a full 2022 class because of not the 25-player scholarship limit, but the 85. Uh, Kansas will actually be running up against that. They took, I believe, eight returning seniors. I was able to get that list confirmed. Um, and, And the 2022 class will be smaller for everyone for that reason, but I would anticipate that being more of a 15, 20 guy class um, and then them being caught up, which just goes to show you it really wasn't that hard. Um, it just took, you know, recruiting high school players for a few years, um, I guess, and suffering the losses of last season, so maybe it was. But, you know, regarding <laughs> the transfer, I, I think some of those guys were uh, guys Kansas would have loved to have back, um, and some of those guys were guys that I think Kansas is I'm not going to say nudged out the door, but maybe nudged out the door was probably a little – comfortable with them moving on or felt like it was maybe in the best interest for player and school if that were the case. Um, I think the returning players are definitely uh, going to help Kansas. They got some, you know, some offensive line super seniors. I think league runs, the new line coach called them that. Um, they, they have like Tyron Johnson is a, is a big guy to bring back. Ricky Thomas, I think that's a great guy to bring back. So they actually have some decent returning talent. Um, I, I think the ones that are disappointing are, you know, guys like Andrew Parchment that you know, it was obvious he was going to transfer, and I, I even reported in October uh, that that was kind of emerging as a route for him. But, right. you know, you still maybe hope you could keep that guy, keep Stephon Robinson, um, but, you know, that was always going to be really, really unlikely. And, you know, those guys both landed, one at Northwestern and Stephon Robinson at Florida State for Andrew Parchment. You know, they're going great places where they're expected to start, um, and that, that should probably tell you that they were pretty good and that, um, they were probably let down by their teammates last year. But, yeah, I actually think the Kansas roster is in a pretty healthy place. This will still be a young team for the next two years. But, you know, after that, it'll pretty much be back to being a normal college football team. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised that they're going to be getting back to that 85 because I, I was under the impression that they were a little further away than that. But that's actually great news for them. I mean, that was honestly – that was like – Job number one for bringing Les Miles in was to, you know, up the the quality of players that they were recruiting, which we've seen his recruiting classes get better and better, um, you know, and bringing in some really good top talent type of guys there. Um, But then also just getting back to 85 scholarships. I mean, and so the fact that they're going to do that after the next recruiting cycle is absolutely amazing when you think about where they were at. Um, Yeah. You know, well, real quick, if I could jump in, actually, think about it like this. You can bring in 25 names for recruiting class. And if you string three of those together and they're all high school, that's 75. And this third one would be Les Miles' third, um, you know, recruiting class, basically third full, you know, 25-man recruiting class, which, again, like not to just keep going back to this, but that, I mean, like you actively have to try to destroy a scholarship, a a roster as much as uh, previous Kansas coaches have. (laughs) And, and again, it just goes to show you that, like, you know, I I don't want to let David Beatty off the hook with this, but it is possible that David Beatty was not capable of landing high school players with how poorly things were going in Kansas. Now, I don't necessarily think that's the case, but it's certainly possible. Um, but that's why you get less miles. Kansas went 0-9 last year and lost most games by like a trillion points. 
and then sign the two highest ranked recruits in school history. Like there's a yeah. difference between, you know, being a bad team, being a losing team with a coach no one knows, and then having Les Miles who even if you don't, you know, maybe you don't think he still has it, maybe Kansas looks horrible, whatever for one year, he's still Les Miles. He still has a national championship ring. He's still going to be able to recruit. He still has a staff that can recruit Nenet Jones and Brent Deerman actually did a lot of work in this uh, most recent class. So, you know, it, it just goes to show you like Again, it's not that hard. You just get a bunch of high school guys year over year, but you have to have credibility. You have to have the ability to do that. So credit to Les Miles for that. Well, and and, and I think what it really tells you is that Les Miles has done a phenomenal job of the guys that he's recruited keeping them here on campus because we've gotten so used to as Kansas fans. And, I mean, it's gotten a lot more uh, prevalent throughout the nation now that, you know, you're going to lose say, you know, five or six people on average from your, from each class, you know, every season um, that they're going to just decide they don't like what they're at, especially with the higher level ones where, you know, like guys that are lower on the roster decide they'd rather go somewhere where they have an opportunity to play, you know, or you have in situations like Kansas where some of your best players decide this isn't the situation for them after all, and decide to go ahead and transfer to go somewhere else. And so I think we've gotten so used to losing, you know, anywhere from five to, to eight players out of each recruiting class and and that hasn't happened. Like you look at this list of people that that are transferring, and the vast majority of these people are you know David Beatty players who were juniors or seniors, um, maybe a couple sophomores here that you know are have been there because of other redshirt or you know injury issues or things like that. But like the vast majority of the guys that Les Miles brought in are still on campus, and even if they mm-hmm. still need to develop, and kind of as you're talking about, this is going to be a young team next season. Um, but that's really not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. Um, but like all the guys that we lost, Andrew Parchment, I think everybody going into last season really expected Andrew Parchment to be gone anyway because we didn't realize we were going to get another year of eligibility for these guys. And so like mm-hmm. the fact that you could have had him back was a nice plus. But honestly, if you're really thinking about it, no one expected him back. So that's not like a huge lot. Like, I, I don't chalk that up as a gigantic loss for them because while well, you would have liked to have him, you definitely didn't expect to have him going into last season. The rest of the guys, like the biggest position that got hit, there was a ton of wide receivers and tight ends, so so pass catchers that ended up transferring. And, you know, with the exception of Stephon Robinson and Andrew Parchment, guys that you expected like were were probably going to be gone after this season anyway. I think Ezra Naylor is the only guy that really kind of surprised me. I was expecting him to come back, but but he decided to transfer. Um, but the rest of these guys were guys you weren't really expecting or they got recruited over. You know, Kansas signed a lot of wide receivers in this last class. So I'm not really that surprised with who they were recruiting. Like, if you told me that half of these guys got nudged out the door because they knew they had someone coming in that was going to take all their playing time, like, that would not shock me at all. Uh, I would completely believe that. Same with, like, the offensive line. You know, Oppie Mane, he had some issues earlier in the season. And, and ten, Antoine Frazier, you know, transferred, like, really early. So, like, that hasn't been a surprise. Um, throughout the rest of the season. So like Jalen Robinson is the only guy that transferred out. I think that was really a little surprising. And even then, I don't know that it's that big of a deal because of, you know, all the extra guys they have in the room now. And obviously like when, when offensive line is your you know big issue for the season, you don't really want to lose anyone if you can. But the fact that they have a pretty big room and they're, you know, looking at a new philosophy and, you know, they're doing all this additional stuff. Like it's not like the red alert, you know, sirens going off everywhere. Um, so, I mean, I, I just, I look at this class with all the people that ended up transferring out and 
it doesn't strike me nearly as bad as it seemed initially when all of a sudden it seemed like every other day we were hearing about another person transferring. Once you step back and look at who's transferring and kind of what the circumstances surrounding all of them are, I don't know that it's that big of a deal. So like, like you said, I think this roster is actually set up um, fairly well. I mean, going into next year, who, who are the players that if you had to make a selection right now, you would anticipate are going to take a huge step forward next year and potentially show something, even if the season overall is pretty rough record wise. Yeah. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because what basically happened, first of all, just to go back with one thing you said real quick, what basically ended up happening is like, because every player was eligible to come back, you take like your 20 seniors or whatever, and each individual one of them, it's like, if they don't come back, it's a disaster, even though, you know, like you said, you wouldn't expect a lot of those guys back based off a normal year. And then also a lot of the guys who transferred were walk-ons or people who weren't playing. So uh, that could be a little misleading too. Um, in terms of guys to take a big step forward, well, let's see. I'll, I'll start with the, uh, the defensive side of the ball because obviously, you know. That's where it's needed the thinking, most? Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to like jog my memory here for a second. But like uh, Marcus Harris was a guy who really came on um, last year, I would expect. You know, him, Dejon Terry on that defensive line, I would expect those guys. I mean, it's nice for them to get Sam Burt back. I think it'll be good uh, just to have some, like, you know, veteran presence, leadership, guy who can play. Um, just good to have another body there. But, you know, I, I think that's a pretty solid unit. I'm assuming Drew Prox is back. I haven't heard anything to the contrary. Uh, and Kyron Johnson is a guy, again, that as a, a super senior, so to speak, I think he takes a step forward. Uh, Karan Prunty, obviously, everyone knows about. I think Jacoby Bryant, who is a member of the 2020 recruiting class, he is joining the team in 2021, but he's a, a 2020 kid at gray shirt, basically. Um, right. I, I think he is in line to have uh, just a huge, huge freshman year. I think um, from what I've heard, there, I mean, he could be every bit as good as a, a Karan Prunty type of prospect. Now it's another thing to make that go on the field. But um, I, I think he has the potential to be special defensively. Um, obviously, Kenny Logan at the safety spot. So I think, I think there are a bunch of guys there. Um, you know, offensively, it'll look a little different, a lot of new pieces. But, you know, you signed the two highest-ranked recruits in the history of Kansas football. And Devin Neal, a four-star running back out of Lawrence, uh, you know, with a 24-7 sports staff rankings, he was the highest-ranked player ever. Until Quay Davis, who was, you know, over 100 spots higher ranked in the 24-7 sports composite yeah. than Puka. So, I mean, that tells you that that's not just 24-7 sports, which my biased opinion is the, the most accurate ranking service, but, you know, who agrees? Rivals and ESPN and everyone. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one where, you know, he was a kid with amazing offers, uh, Alabama, Georgia, USC, Texas. He was committed to those two. Um, and, you know, everywhere wanted him. You have to ask questions and fairly about you know, you pull in some offers and then you end up decommitting three different times uh, from different places and you end up at Kansas. You know, there are questions that have to be asked there and I'm sure they will be asked in time. But, you know, at the same time, the talent with that kid is absolutely undeniable. So I think those are two places, uh, two players offensively. Uh, the offensive line, actually, you know, it has a lot of guys returning. Chris Hughes, uh, Malik Clark, if he can actually play his natural position of left guard and not have to play tackle, that'd probably be right. great for him. Um, and, and you've got some young guys, Garrett Jones or Maje Adams, who uh, showed flashes last year that I think with a year of strength and conditioning in a spring uh, could actually be pretty good. So I actually think there's a, a pretty good amount of talent um, on Kansas. Quarterback spot will be huge. I expect it to be Jalen Daniels. Um, we'll see if one of the freshmen can uh, usurp him in that role. But, you know, I, I do think there's some talent on the roster at least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, back to – 
to talking about, you know, you, you have obviously highly rated recruits that you, there's a little bit of a question kind of off the field stuff, but any program that's trying to rebuild is going to have to take those you know, high risk, high reward type of players and really kind of use them as a springboard. Um, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen our share of, of, I, I mean, questionable, um, I guess, actions by various players, you know, in the off season or things like that, but it doesn't necessarily mean you don't give those guys a chance, especially if they have the talent on the field to help you. It just means that they probably get a shorter leash, leash off the field, um, you know, before there's some sort of discipline that, that has to be taken. And so they're probably going to keep, you know, a closer eye on him while he's on campus and kind of take, you know, make sure that they're kind of fully aware of whatever the situation is surrounding him. But I also don't think that that's a reason to, you know, especially if you're a program like Kansas to shy away from taking on a guy like that when he can so obviously help your team on the field. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah. And, and think about it like this too. Like, again, every situation's different. And I don't personally, like if someone asks, you know, hey, you know, why isn't he going to Texas? Why isn't he going to USC? You know, I couldn't tell you the reason. I don't, I don't know. Like straight up, I, I don't have an answer to that. Right. I just think it's something that you definitely acknowledge. You definitely pay attention to if there are concerns off the field, if, you know, like you mentioned, that's something a staff, it's up to them to monitor. It's up to them to decide, you know, is, is the risk worth the reward? There was another K player in Kansas's class that didn't end up coming to Kansas that uh, had some academic questions, for example. And that can be a thing, you know, teams not wanting to use a scholarship on a guy who may not be a qualifier right away or, right. you know, may, may hurt them in that regard. So I, there are lots of reasons why kids can end up at different places. Nothing is the same, but, um, you know, and it's all case by case. But, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something where a staff, you know, if they do take a chance on a guy and, and they feel like it's it's appropriate and, you know, whatever, and, again, you have to know why and what that chance is, then, yeah, I mean, you, you look after him more closely. You try and keep him out of trouble. And, you know, who knows? Like I said, I, I don't know specifically about Quay Davis's situation, what his is, but, um, you know, it's it's certainly interesting that, you know, anytime you, you pull in a guy who had those, those you know, committable, uh, at least at one point offers. Right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, it's one of those things, too. You really don't know if it even is something related to him. Obviously, the fact that there are so many people or so many schools where he, you know, had an offer um, or was committed and, and decided to decommit. It could just very well be that, you know, circumstances changed in terms of how they wanted to use him. And he didn't feel that that was right. So it could be any number of things. It could just be that the fit wasn't there yeah. and it happened to happen for him multiple times. So like, I don't want, yeah. I don't want any fan that's listening to this to think that, you know, we're admitting that there's some sort of issue that maybe that we just don't want to talk about. Like it's literally, we have no idea what's going on with those, but even if there was something that doesn't mean that you shy away from him, um, especially since, you know, you're just, you're looking for some sort of lightning rod that this team can use to take, an explosive growth forward and really kind of set the trajectory for the program for where it needs to be moving forward. So, mm -hmm. all right. Um, we're actually a little early from when I normally like to do this, but I, I want to go ahead and turn to one other topic about football and then maybe we'll have some time to get to some basketball. But before we do that, I'm going to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the rock chalk podcast. If you love the big 12, then we have the show for you. The 10 12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the big 12 conference forget the sec forget the big 10 and forget national podcasts that only talk about oklahoma and texas we talk about the sooners and the longhorns we also talk about the cyclones the cowboys the wildcats the mountaineers the jayhawks the red raiders the horn frogs and the bears we love the whole big 12 and we are available everywhere that podcasts are found so go and find the 1012 podcast and subscribe today 
And we're back. All right. So obviously the biggest story most recently um, is the fact that that uh, offensive coordinator Brent Dearman uh, decided to leave the program to go to Middle Tennessee State. Um, and then Kansas hired Mike DeBoard to take his place as the offensive coordinator. So the first thing, and, you know, from what I've been able to, to understand, and, and I guess what kind of actually came out pretty early um, after was that, you know, Brent Dearman left for a family issue. There may have been some other circumstances surrounding it that made that decision a little bit easier, but you know, the, the main thing there was that it, you know, it is a family issue and obviously to, to respect his privacy, don't want to go into any kind of details that either of us might know about actually what's going on there. But I think it's safe to say this was not an instance of him deciding that he just couldn't be here anymore. He couldn't, you know, deal with the direction of the program or anything like that. This literally was something that is bigger than football that caused him to go ahead and take that job. And he honestly was fortunate that he was able to move to a job at middle Tennessee state where they had an opening that he could make a lateral move there. Um, So like my, my main takeaway from this is that him leaving isn't on its own an indictment of where this program is going or of huge disagreements that he had with Les miles on, you know, the direction the offense was going or anything like that. Is, is that the, the general sense that you're getting from that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think every situation is a little bit more complicated than um, well, sometimes yes. what the, the and, and I'm not saying you're not saying this, than, than what the simplest route can be. And the example I would give is like Puka Williams, you know, Puka Williams left he, for what he said was a family issue. And I do not doubt whatsoever that there was a family issue. But, you know, we can also have the, the adult, you know, so to speak, conversation of, you know, hey, the season wasn't going well. He was injured. The offensive line's terrible. The team's not winning. He doesn't want to hurt his draft stock. Running backs don't last long in the NFL. You know, it makes sense for him to do that. And I feel similarly about the Brent Deerman thing. I do not doubt, and in fact, I, I very much believe that there is a, a family situation. And, and so I think that's certainly part of it. Um, I think we can also have that, that same adult conversation and say, hey, you know, Les Miles and Brent Deerman uh, probably didn't see eye to eye on some things. Um, at times and he's actually admitted that so yes yeah but but that's also normal like your your offensive Mm -hmm. coordinator and your head coach are not going to be in lockstep about every single facet of the of the offensive you know and 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 the way it's Mm -hmm. run so like those are normal disagreements or different thoughts about how certain things should be done but that doesn't mean that there was like a, a huge you know problem with the way that they were trying to mesh that together yeah, I, I don't. I definitely don't think it was like an untenable situation or anything like that. But I, I do think there were actually pretty substantive philosophical differences. And I also think, um, just based off Les Miles' history and, and including in Brent Deerman's first year of uh, at times meddling or deciding things are going to be a certain way, um, I think that can rub people the wrong way. Now, we haven't, you know, officially heard anything to that end. The only thing Uh, that's really come out of that side is that Brent Dearman did an interview that I think you just alluded to where he said, you know, Hey, we had philosophical differences or maybe different formations, different personnel use, things like that. But everyone knows that, right? Everyone knows what Les Miles is. Everyone knows what Brent Dearman is. That's that's not a secret. That's not a, not even a negative thing. It's just a, you know, facts like one of them does the RPO and and new age offense and one of them doesn't. So, um, you know, I, I actually don't think, I know a lot of people are down on the Mike DeBoard hiring, I actually thought it was a pretty good hire given the circumstances. You know, there were some uh, conspiracy theorists wondering, you know, did Kansas push Brent Dearman out the door? Um, which, <laughs> to me, like, it was a week before signing day. Like, right. I, if, if you're going to push him out, anything, yeah. Right. If you if, if you're going to push him out, 
you probably wait till after all the recruits are inked so that there's no <laughs> chance that one of, you know, the ones that he was in on decides to not come. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, which is what happened, you know, they lost their fourth highest ranked kid in the class who is now going to Middle Tennessee, a defensive back named right. Cam, Cam Grays. And like, even if even if he weren't in on any of them, you just you don't want staff turnover before signing day. I pro- like I promise no one in the history of college football has ever asked for that unless you were bringing in, you know, uh, a less miles like, you know, type of figure to replace a David Beatty, which is, is not really what's happening now. I think he's actually a decent offensive coordinator, actually better than that. You know, he won a national championship as offensive coordinator. He was a game away from making another national championship. Uh, When he was at Tennessee, they averaged like 36 a game. And when he left, they haven't averaged more than 24. Um, People think he's really old school, probably because he coached at Michigan. Not necessarily the case. He actually does a lot of spread offense, uh, shotgun, a lot of kind of advanced concepts. So I actually think uh, if the offense next year looks like a lot of eye formation and stuff, that would signal to me more that like Les Miles is taking over things than, um, you know, Mike DeBoard. But I, I actually think he, he brings a much more simple approach to offense, which is probably better for a young team or, you know, probably would have helped last year not having a spring. It's hard to, to work in advanced zone read and RPO concepts. Um, I think it probably limits your ceiling when you have a more progression-based approach where – you don't ask your quarterback to read the field like he said at his introductory presser. Uh, but at the same time, this year really isn't about the ceiling of Kansas football. And the guy signed a two-year deal that lets him leave after one year if he wants to retire. So I don't right. think anyone should view this as a long-term hire. This was, uh, oops, the coordinator is gone. Let's get someone less miles trust who's competent, who's good uh, for a year or two, pay him some money, and then he'll be on his way. Uh, that's what this read like to me. So, in that regard, it's like a hundred times better than the Les Kenning hire. Um, That's exactly you know, what I was about to say. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, so I, I don't think it's bad at all. Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of those where I can see the potential. And, you know, if you're looking for a silver lining, and I, I don't know if I'm quite all the way there, I definitely am not as upset about it as I was initially, like with my, you know, kind of initial reaction to it. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things, the hope would be that if you're bringing in a guy like this, They've worked together in the past. This is a guy that Les Miles can trust enough that if he pushes back a little bit on Les getting too involved in the offense, then maybe Les is going to listen to him a little bit more. You know, one, one of the things that I had heard from several people that were kind of around in, you know, the, the department there was that one of the biggest problems that they had, and this isn't like a slight against Brent Dearman, but the fact that he's so inexperienced, especially running, you know, an offense at the high major level, you know, there's a lot more complexity to it. There's a lot more going on that he maybe necessarily wasn't immediately ready to, to handle. Not saying that he couldn't have gotten there with it, but things didn't go as smoothly last season, you know, as he was trying to take on everything because of COVID and because the fact that he just doesn't have as much experience with that kind of staff that you would have at a, you know, P5 program. Um, not Again, I'm not saying that this is like, you know, a reason that we should all be glad that Brent Dearman was gone, but it was a skill that he needed to develop. The hope is that you bring in a guy like Mike DeBoard. He already has that ability. And so maybe things will go a little bit smoother this next season, just because it's a guy that has experience who knows how to run a staff. You know, you had, you had a staff of a whole bunch of really young position coaches, really young guys there in, in terms of the analysts and everything. And then add on top of that, a really young offensive coordinator, like you're missing that experience that you need to be super successful to, to just know what it is you need to do 
to to get everybody on the same page there on the offensive side of the ball. So like, yeah. it's one of those things. It may end up being better for everybody. It may be better for Brent Dearman that he's not you know at that kind of situation that he's going to a place that's a little bit more stable and honestly is probably a better situation personnel wise just where they're at right now, um, and can work with some guys that have some. Uh, you know, I guess some some experience to help him develop those skills for himself. And then Kansas is getting a guy that can really run an offensive coaching staff and can, you know, maybe push back on less if less tries to meddle a little bit too much. Like if you're looking for a silver lining, why this is the right hire at this point, I think that's what it is. And I definitely agree. Like if you're going to be looking for an emergency offensive coordinator, this was a much, much better hire than Les Canning was last year. Yeah, well, and again, similar circumstances. A coach leaves a little bit, I think, before signing day again. So, you know, you're, you're just scrambling to, to find someone. You you know, I think the downside is that Mike DeBoer definitely seemed like he wanted to retire like five years ago. And so I, I well, think, he did. you know, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And then, you know, the, the whole Indiana thing, which I, I believe he had family in the area and he had roots there. And so it made sense. Um, that they were kind of able to, to pull him back. And then, you know, he goes and, be, and is an analyst. I, I would just say that what I think Kansas fans are going to see this year, and this is my like big prediction, is that Kansas's offense is going to look pretty decent in part because it's a lot simpler. Um, and again, with a young team, that's important. And a huge part because they have a spring and because all the offensive right. linemen got another year and all these freshmen are suddenly redshirt freshmen who had the chance to go to, you know, weight program. And because the defense is a little bit more beefed up and because, you know, the quarterback's going to be a little bit more comfortable and Kansas fans are going to look around and say, well, how bad must Brent Dearman have been if the offense looked so bad last year, but then you're going to go over to middle Tennessee and they're going to have a good year and they're oh, going yeah. to be, they're going to be phenomenal and, this year. I think honestly well, on offense, <laughs> they're, they're going to be thrilled and they're going to be going, well, how dumb is Kansas for letting this guy get away? And now, you know, whatever, I, th- I think this is going to prove to be, a both sides end up being happy kind of deal just because again like the importance of a spring the importance of not only for quarterback for implementing offense but for offensive line like basically for Kansas to have had its most success last year would have required a reversal of like every philosophy Brent Dearman has ever had of like going from this you know we ask our quarterback to read the defense philosophy to like I'm just going to tell you and give you like one look plays and like go from there. That's not who he is. He wrote a book on the RPO for God's sake. So, right. Um, I, I think both ways it, it could actually be a, uh, a good move for both coordinators. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of those things. And, you know, I don't want to just keep reiterating the same point, but I do think that, you know, not having that spring, we talked about it a lot, kind of the lead up to last season. Um, you know, I actually, I think you and I talked about it as well when we did the season preview, just the fact that there was no spring meant that it was going to be a tough ask for Kansas to really develop the kind of offense that Brent Dearman wants to do. Um, you know, I mean, and, and you went from having a, like, it looked really, really good with what Brent Dearman had, had done in that, in that first half year that he had as a coordinator, because he was dealing with a senior quarterback who really knew what he was doing, who had time with that system, you know, and they had a whole bunch of guys that really had like learned those concepts. And so it was just a matter of expanding on them. Um, yeah. after you had had a full off season to kind of figure out what those were doing and then half the season. And so it was a completely different circumstance bringing in Jalen Daniels, um, you know, and, and him, uh, you know, honestly, like I, I, I think it was the right move to go ahead and start him to get him that experience. And it's going to help him a lot this year, but I do agree. I think Kansas is going to look a lot better this year. And it's going to be because of about 15 different factors instead of just the fact that they, you know, don't have Brent Dearman and went to Mike. DeBoer. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, any other things you want to talk about with this Kansas team uh, for football? Um, or, or do we want to spend the last about 10 minutes or so talking about some basketball? Yeah, we can go to hoops. All right, let's do it. So obviously, um, this last game that they had against West Virginia was not the kind of game that you really wanted to see. Um, they got down to a big hole early again, which seems to be kind of their MO is that they don't start fast. Um, and then just while they clawed all the way back early in the second half, it seemed like they ran out of gas and just for whatever reason was not able to finish that game. What do you think? Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't actually looked to see if you've written about this yet or not, but what do you think it is that's going into them starting so slow in pretty much every game? I mean, even in like the Kansas state game, they seem to start really slow and then coming out of halftime, they just turned it on at that point. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, especially because like the West Virginia game, you're, you're hundred percent correct. They did start slow. They got down early, but like, they shouldn't have because they right. missed so many like layups and, and you know, I'd like to tell you, Oh, well, it's just this and this, but honestly, like I think some randomness, some maybe, you know, guys playing more charged up than they are. You're in a, a losing streak, a rut, and it's hard to maybe bring the energy from the onset. And, you know, look, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think, I think there are a lot of problems with the Kansas team that are fixable and then I think there are some things that aren't going to be fixable until the fixable problems are fixable, and that's one of them. Like, to me, Kansas the biggest Kansas needs to do the things that Kansas can do to get out of the rut it's currently in, and I think that involves getting more consistency from Christian Brown, getting Jalen Wilson playing with more activity and energy. You know, I know some people think the magic be-all, end-all fix is just, oh, just play five guards. Do you know the last time the five-guard lineup outscored the other team in a game was December 5th against North Dakota State? Like, it can be a good lineup. It worked against Kentucky. Now we learn Kentucky kind of sucks. But it it worked, and it has worked. But I don't think that's this magic fix that, like, this lineup that hasn't scored anyone, you know, outscored another team in three months or or two months is just magically going to fix all Kansas' issues. I think it's about getting guys playing better. David McCormick is playing the right way. I think Jalen Wilson, the last game, played the right way. If you can get more out of guys like Marcus Garrett, Christian Brown, um, and something from the bench, I think all of a sudden then you can focus on, you know, why is Kansas starting slow? Well, maybe they just don't have the energy, the buzz. Maybe they're not, you know, it's something psychological about dealing with a, a streak of losing, you know, six out of 10 or, or whatever the number of games it is. So um, I, I think there are fixable problems. And then that I would classify as a fixable problem once they fix the fixable problems. And so I, I don't even know if that makes sense, but that's kind of how I feel. No, it does. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of either attention to detail type things or just energy. Like there's a reason that, that Kevin Young was such a important piece, you know, of the teams that he was on is because he, he gave them that spark of energy that when they were getting down like this and not, you know, not being as efficient as they needed to be, he came in, sparked everyone else up and everyone started playing better. And so like, yeah. it wasn't even necessarily what Kevin himself did, it was the fact that he made everybody else around him better by just being infectious with that energy. They don't have a guy like that on this team right now. Um, and they don't really have the energy to start with for whatever reason. It seems like they're able to, you know, Bill Self is able to light a fire under them when they are down or down at halftime and kind of in there. And then they seem to have really, really strong starts of the second half in pretty much every game that they've played. I mean, we saw that against Baylor. We saw that against Oklahoma. We saw that not necessarily against Tennessee. It seemed like they were trying, but Tennessee was just lights out shooting. Um, but like every single game that they've played, they they come out with a spark in the second half. And I think a lot of that's because Bill Self, you know, gets into them for it, for the way that they've been playing. But 
they just haven't been able to maintain it. So I'm not sure what that is. I do think kind of to your point about the five guard, not necessarily being um, like the, the magic cure all that everybody thinks it is. I do think though, that being able to go to it as often as they were, earlier was making the entire team more efficient because it is that change of pace. It kind of gives them a different energy and it also gives the opponent more to think about. The big problem I think at this point is that them not having Bryce Thompson really limits the ability of, for them to go to that five guard lineup for long stretches of time. And so like, I do think if, if Bryce Thompson comes back and is able to play immediately that you're going to see a big difference. I think they're going to be able to get into that five guard more often, not play it all the time, but at least yeah. be able to play it for significant portions of the game and the defense not fall off a cliff. Cause like, I think that's yeah. been part of the problem is you try to get Anaruna in there. You try to get some of these other guys in there and the defense doesn't do enough to, to, you know, be able to, well, the defense takes enough of a dip that it kind of counteracts any offensive um, advantage you might get by going to a different lineup like that. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what the big issue is, is that you get Bryce Thompson back again. I don't think that's a magic fix, but I think it gives you the opportunity to go to that five guard lineup a whole lot more than you have been and not have to deal with a huge drop in the defensive play. Yeah. Well, I actually, and, and don't get me wrong. I actually like the five guard lineup and I, I, I right. think for 15 to 20 max minutes a game, like it can be a very, very valuable tool matchup wise. Now, you know, it didn't work against Texas Tech. It didn't work against West Virginia the first time. Um, you know, it was fine this most recent time and fine against OU, but, you know, not ne- necessarily anything notable. So, you know, I, w- I want to be clear for anyone listening. Like, I don't just hate this lineup and think it's, a, you know, an automatic loss if you play it. But I, I also think, and I asked Bill Self about this, you know, it seemed like they played more intense when they were in that lineup. And Bill Self had made a comment around the Kentucky game where he was like, you don't want to get embarrassed or, or you know, destroyed on the, on the glass because you're so small, so you're going to lock in more. And so right. I asked him, I was like, would that be a way to maybe spark some energy? And he said, and at the time, David McCormick had only had a couple of good games, and he was like, yeah, but you're not going to take your best offensive player off the court. And at the time, I was thinking, like, who is he talking about? Like, right. <laughs> like I was like, Jalen Ochai? But he was talking about McCormick, and he ended up saying that. But you've kind of seen, too, like David McCormick missed a few layups in the last game, and people were down on him. But, like, he was pretty inarguably, like, KU's third best player in that game, and he's been one of their best three players more often than not in their last, like, 10 or 12 games. Now, they've also lost a bunch of those games, and I think some people have said, well, see, you know, you can't run the offense through him or or whatever, but I actually think it's more of a case of the guys around him. Like, you know, Jalen Wilson can play with energy and activity regardless of if he's playing the four or if he's playing the five. He just hasn't done it. He hasn't done the things that that he needed to do that did emerge last game, you know, a lot of the time with him playing the four. Christian Brown has been, you know, really, really inconsistent this year. That's not the fault of David McCormick, whether or not Christian Brown makes his open threes. He just, you know, has to make them. In half his games, he's shooting like 25% or worse from three. In half his games, he's shooting like 44% or better from three. So it's finding a a way to make him be more consistent. And, you know, the one area that I do think it has affected the team, especially like spacing-wise, is it's hard to play Marcus Dewan and David McCormick all together. And especially Marcus, he scored the ball well last game, but I thought, you know, he had one turnover where it wasn't great spacing. He had one where I think David McCormick got credited for it, but I actually thought it was Marcus Garrett's fault. Like they have to find ways to get those guys to mesh or the answer is going to be Dewan Harris just has to play a lot, a lot less. Um, But I think an easy way to get those two guys minutes together would be to go five guard. And that's when you play Marcus Garrett with the one Harris. But what you need, as you mentioned, 
You need guards. You need uh, the depth to be able to do that. You need Bryce Thompson to be healthy. You need Tyron Foster to be healthy. So I, I still think this KU team has options. I am not as down on them as ever, everyone else. I still think they're probably somewhere between the 10th and 25th best team in the nation. Um, but I think that's more of an indicator of the college basketball landscape. You know, Iowa has five losses, and they're ranked in the top 10. So I don't think having seven losses uh, by any means is, is the most atrocious thing ever. But I, I just think they have a lot of little things that they have to get figured out, too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things. This Kansas team, if they can get, you know, kind of the, I guess, the the relational issues in terms of like spacing and all that stuff, if they can get all that figured out, this is still a team that can make a run to the final four if they get the right draw, you know, and, and kind of get their own stuff together. The problem is, obviously, like the three-point shooting has to improve. It's been abysmal for a good portion of this of this year. And, of course, that is affecting, I think, what McCormick can do. Because if, if, you know, if, if Brown is having a bad night and Abaji's having a bad night shooting from three, you know, at the same time, well, then teams are going to pack the paint on McCormick and he's not going to be able to do anything down low. And that makes McCormick look worse. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, why are we trying to run things through McCormick? Well, it's because your three point shooters aren't hitting anything. So you go for something that you think is actually going to get you points. Um, like yeah. that's been, I think the biggest problem for Kansas is that when McCormick has been good, the three-point shooters have been awful. When the when the three-point shooters have been awful, well, then McCormick hasn't necessarily needed to do as much, and so people discount what actually he is able to do. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest thing is that when Kins is shooting well from three, they've been winning. When they haven't been shooting well from three, they haven't been winning, yeah. and it's not because of McCormick. It's just because of what not shooting well from three does to the entire rest of the team. So Yeah, but and, like, and, you know, a lot of people have jumped in and said, like, you know, they just need to take more threes or Bill Self needs to free the three or X, Y, and Z. And like to those people, to, to the exact point you're making, I would say, do you think this is a good three-point shooting team? And, and I think a lot of people would say yes because they have the wrong – like they are projecting 44% three-point shooting Christian Brown on like two attempts a game onto the current iteration of him who has to take, you know, five, six, seven attempts per game, which is a lot harder to make you know, when you're not just taking wide open, uncontested catch and shoot threes. I mean, it's, it's different. Like Devon Dotson, same thing. His three point percentage dipped uh, last year, a huge amount uh, because he wasn't just, you know, spot up catch and shoot corner, whatever, playing off other guys. It became uh, you know, I'm creating my own shot. So I, I agree with you. I, I tend to think three point shooting is, is a big part of it. And I think they can get better um, shooting the ball, especially by making sure they get open looks and they get the right guys taking them. But, you know, David McCormick is at the same time like the most important and least important player on Kansas because he can have a really, really good game like against Oklahoma State when he played great on both ends and they can lose. And he can have a really, really bad game like against Texas Tech, but he still does enough on the court because he's so big on the inside, they have to devote resources to guarding him that it opens up the offense and it opens up the shooters. Kansas was better with David McCormick in the game against Texas Tech than not, and yet his stats were bad. And so I think there are ways he affects the game, even if his numbers are bad, as long as he's not eating too many possessions on the offensive end. I, I think so much of it does come down to the shooters, the guards, the wings. Are they playing well and are they doing enough things that it really doesn't matter what he's doing? Anything he does is a bonus. I think that's where Kansas probably needs to find a way to get to. Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of just one final thing here is, as we're running short on time, like people are, are not realizing that Kansas is actually eighth in the Big 12 during Big 12 play in terms of shooting three-point you know, percentage there. Yeah. They're, they're second 
and in two point percentage. And a lot of that has to do with the way that McCormick has been shooting. The other thing as well, McCormick is an, is absolutely a fantastic free throw shooter this year, which is a little weird for us. You know, I have having a, a string of big men who aren't really good free throw shooters. Like he, like the only, the only real critique that I have or, or problem that I have with what McCormick does is that when he's going, you know, inside and has pressure, he does that fade away shot, which doesn't give him opportunities to go to the free throw line. If he did that more, I think, it would change a whole lot of opinions about what he does because he'd get to the free throw line more and he'd have much gaudier stat lines because he would actually be going strong to the basket. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, with, with David McCormick, his offensive game is a lot more refined. This is going to be weird to say. A lot more refined than Yudoka Azubuki's was. You know, he's not 7'2", 270. He's not dunking on everyone's head. I, I think that is a, a, a notable difference, but... You know, hey, at the same time, there are things he can do well when he plays within himself, like you mentioned, uh, not losing control when the, the other team sends a double team, not forcing shots. If he does that stuff, I think he can be very valuable. Yeah, I mean, Azubuki was more of a power player down low, whereas I think that the, the, the best way to describe it is McCormick is more of a finesse player. And sometimes it comes to bite him because if he just tried to flash a little bit more power, he'd probably get opposing teams either in foul trouble or just get himself to the line more, which would help Kansas overall. But, I, I mean, I still think it's fair to say that he's playing fairly well down low. There's just one aspect of the game that I think a lot of people are really kind of ha- taking issue with that and, and kind of over overemphasizing just how much of an effect it has. So, But, all right, yeah. that's going to do it for us today. We are, we are out of time at this point. Uh, Scott, real quick, can you remind everyone where they can find your work online? Yeah, if you want to uh, read, if you've heard my words and want to read them in written form, uh, you can head to kansas.247sports.com. Fog.net for all your KU content or follow me on Twitter at Jason Scott. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast so you can subscribe to the podcast and get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can leave us a rating and a review as well, five stars and nice comments would be absolutely great. But if you can't do that for whatever reason, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, if you want to try to interview anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast.gmail.com or on twitter at rockchalkpod you can also get your voice on the show do that by going to anchor.fm slash rock-chalk-podcast slash message leave us a voicemail i promise we'll get it on the show for you but that's going to do it for us tonight thanks again for listening guys and we will catch you next time on the rock chalk podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.